G'day. G'day, mate. How's it going? All right? Just keep talking. Trying to, I'm trying to embrace my Australian. I was recently told... By the way, I am from Australia. Any Aussies? Yes! Welcome back to the UK, Australia. It's been a few years since your country has let you out. And here you are. But I was at a party the other night and I was told that I just sound really British and also that I sounded like I was from Adelaide. Sorry, is anyone here from Adelaide? No. Okay. I was insulted. I'm sorry if you're from Adelaide. It's because I'm pronouncing my T's a lot more than I used to. Um, anyway, I'd feel really encouraged if you are from Australia and you want to give me an Aussie amen. Yeah? You could say, yeah, mate. Amen. Or whatever you want. You beauty, just keep it coming. Um, September. Can you believe it? September, guys. September. Start of a new term. I'm really interested to know, just like looking around, I can see a lot of new faces. Can you put your hand up if you're here for the first time or you've come in the last few weeks, just so we can get an idea? Wow. Yeah, let's give that a round of applause. That is amazing. Would you put your hand up if you went to David's Tent Festival last week? Yes. A good time, I'm assuming. Guys, you can tell. You can tell. Huh? I did miss out. I missed out. Next year, guys, next year, we're all going to be there. Um, but honestly, we can feel it. Like, there's such faith in this room. And it's not just the guys from David's Tent, although I really believe that what the Holy Spirit is do has done in you is affecting this atmosphere in this group. Um, so do pray for us. We want, it, we want all that God is releasing among us. Um, I felt that today, launching into a new term, whatever category you find yourselves in this morning, new, been here for ages that it's time to just recenter ourselves on this call of Jesus on our lives. What does it mean to belong to him? What is he saying to us? What are we even doing here again? In the Bible, we read that Jesus walked around a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's up on the screen. I was, it was meant to be this like anticipation. What is she talking about? What is she going to talk about? Follow me. That's it, and that is my talk. <laughs> the end. Um, Jesus did say this a lot, and this might be something you've heard of before. Maybe you're new to the Bible, but if you look at the stories, he was saying that a lot to people. He would just walk past someone and say, hey, you, follow me, you, Come on, follow me. You, follow me. And if you're, not, if you're unaware of this, Jesus was a rabbi. He was a teacher. And that was a phrase that was known um, to be very significant. It basically said it was a phrase that a rabbi gave to a chosen Jewish um, student to say, I want you to come and live with me, follow me. I'm going to um, invest so much in you and you're going to become like me. It was such a high honour and it was one that required everything. And if you read through the scriptures, you'll see people just dropped what they were doing. They just absolutely dropped what they're doing, physically got up and followed Jesus. And today, the sense I got, I just actually just felt like in the worship, wasn't the worship an amazing time? That was the Holy Spirit. If you, if you were sitting there going, oh, it feels, I'm feeling something, what is that? That was the Spirit of God. And I felt like he was like brooding in this room. And I felt like there's a 
jealousy of God over his people today. And you might be like, what? God gets jealous. Yeah, he gets jealous because he wants you. He wants you. So what, that might scare you a bit. <laughs> He's also really good. He's really gentle. <laughs> but he wants you. I just feel like there are those in the room where it's not an accident that you're here. Okay, it's not an accident, and he's pointing to you, saying, you follow me. So we're going to look at the story of a a rich young man who approaches Jesus. So we're going to get Mark chapter 10 up on the screen. If you've got your Bibles, it's Mark 10, starting at verse 17 to 23. Let's look at this together. As Jesus started on his way... A man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. I'm just going to pause and pray for a minute. So, Lord Jesus, as we open up this scripture together and look at what it means to follow you, this invitation, Holy Spirit, would you just, would you speak? I don't want my words to land. I don't care what I say, God, but would you just speak and move in this room for your purposes, Lord? Speak to your people. Would you change lives today? Amen. So... When I looked at this passage, I felt like the Lord was speaking to me about three things involved in this invitation to follow Jesus. And we'll bring up the next slide. It is about knowing Jesus, letting go of idols, and embracing cost. So this man runs up to Jesus, and you might have noticed in the way that I was reading it out, I feel like he was a little bit um, anxious and hyperactive, because even the fact that he runs up to Jesus, and he's like, good teacher, good teacher, tell me, what is it that, you know, can give me eternal life? How can I, you know, cross the line? And the thing is, he's bowing before Jesus, but he doesn't actually know him. Jesus is like, oh, hello there. We don't, we don't know each other. And it's unclear whether this man is trying to flatter Jesus by calling him good teacher. Maybe he just heard of all the amazing things he's doing. For some reason, he thinks this man has authority to tell me if I'm okay, whether if I measure up with my behavior. And Jesus responds. He, he jumps on that and he says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And I I feel, I think here, Jesus is using this opportunity to drop a really obvious hint about who he actually is. But the man still doesn't get it. He's too fixated on his own agenda and his anxiety. And when the man says, you know, I've kept all these commandments that you've listed, what does it say? It says, Jesus looks at him and loves him. And it's not because he's being a good little boy. It's not because he's behaved well all of his life. 
He's not impressed by that, but it's because he sees the man's heart. He sees the underlying anxiety and the striving there. And he wants to give this man the life that he's really longing for and that he's, he has actually been searching for his whole life. And so he gives him an opportunity in this moment to know him. It's like Jesus is saying, you want to know if you've done enough to achieve eternal life or to have eternal life? Buddy, I am eternal life. You will only find life in me and through me, through knowing me. You want to know God? Here I am. Come and get to know me. In John 14, Jesus says, and I think we've got the slide, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Do you know that it's actually possible to come to church to hear a lot about Jesus and not actually know him? It's even possible to get caught up in a worship moment like earlier, to give lip service to this Jesus and not actually know him, not go with him, not have a relationship with him. And I, I sense Jesus is saying to many of us today, and again, if you've been a Christian for a while, it's like, oh yeah, I heard this when I was 13. You need to hear this today. He's saying, do you know me? Are you doing a whole lot of religious activity? Do you know me? Are you hearing my voice every day? Are you watching what I'm doing? Are you dropping your agenda and coming close to me? I grew up as a pastor's kid, hearing about Jesus my whole life, but it wasn't until I was 14 that I was filled with the Holy Spirit, and I got it. I really got it. I began a relationship with him, not based on what I heard, not based on what others told me about him, but I heard his voice speaking directly to me. This is who you are. I love you. Do you know that transformed my life? I became a different person. I became a different person. And he is here by his spirit to introduce himself to you. Maybe for the first time, or maybe to reintroduce himself. He might he might tap you on the shoulder and say, you, I want to show you that I am who I say I am. I think you've got, I feel like there's some people here that maybe Jesus has become a bit distorted and a bit connected to some other things that are nothing to do with him. And he wants to speak to you directly, bring you back to who he really is, bring clarity about who he is. So the next thing is letting go of idols. So let's have a look at this. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. And at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. He had a lot of stuff. Do you know that idols are anything that we put in the place of God and they're the things that we look to for security, for comfort, identity, significance and worth that are not him. And for this man, his idol was his money and his possessions and his wealth. 
And at first, Jesus' requirement to like, okay, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor might seem, oh, that's a, that's a bit extreme, Jesus. Can't you just have a rich, a rich disciple? But, it, but, you know, it says the reason Jesus goes after this idol is because he loves him. And the idol is actually stopping him from experiencing the kingdom life that he was designed for. He says, hey, you know that love of money? That is actually hurting you. That is blocking what I want to do in your life. It's preventing you from receiving the life that I have for you. And the same is true for you and me today. And it might indeed be money and finances. And I'm not saying anyone here is like Mr. Richie Rich or Mrs. Richie Rich. You might be. It's, it's besides the point. It's what has hold of your heart. And you can't have your feet in two kingdoms. It's impossible. You can't serve two kings. Our idols tell us a story, okay? They tell us a narrative that we've bought into and that we believe. So for this man who loves money, his narrative might be this. God is good, but it's my money and possessions that actually give me security. If I let go of my money, I'll be left with nothing. My money takes care of me, provides for me, gives me freedom, peace, and the life I want. God actually isn't enough. Or maybe it's other things that have taken hold of our hearts. What about this one? I can relate to this one, by the way. God is good, but I'm lonely and want to be married, so I'm going to make finding a relationship my priority above everything else. I may even compromise if it means finding someone because at the end of the day, it's a romantic partner who will fulfill me, give me what I want. Only then will I be worthy and loved. I can't be content without this. God is not enough. Or... God is good, but I must succeed and be the best at what I do no matter what. I will make getting to the top and fulfilling my potential my priority. Only then will I be worthy, significant and loved. God is not enough. I could go on and on. It's a fun game, isn't it? You can make up your own idle narratives at home later. <laughs> so weird. But do you know that idols are liars? They're liars. When we put our trust in an idol to give us what only God can, we are being deceived. And just like this man, he goes away sad because he can't let go of his idol. We will not get the life we will truly desire. I repeat, you will not get the life you truly desire, even if everything goes your way. C.S. Lewis said, idols break the hearts of their worshippers. And it is the truth. I've seen it again and again. I've seen it in me. I've seen it in friends who chase after other things. When Jesus says to his disciples after this man has gone away, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Another way you could say is how hard it is for someone who has an idol to receive my kingdom life. How hard it is for someone who's holding on to anything else to receive what I'm trying to give them. So earlier in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus tells a parable about a sower. So someone that is sowing seeds in all different kinds of soil and the, the seeds represent the word of God. 
and he says this, Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, hear that, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Have you ever wondered why there's why you're, str- you're struggling in a particular area of your faith. Or maybe there's been words that have spoken over you that haven't come to fruition. Maybe it's because there is an idol. Maybe it is because there isn't something that you need to let go of because that idol is choking the life that God intended for you. That idol has blocked that journey that God has, has invited you on with him. And maybe for you it is money and you might be sitting there thinking, oh gosh, are you telling me I have to go and empty my bank account later on today and give to the poor? Maybe, I'm not, uh, maybe, it at least has to be a conversation, doesn't it? It at least, like I struggle to go there, I'm like, I cringe. Do you want to know what your idols are? Follow the fear, Okay, follow where you're, you've got control in your life. The thing that you are try, striving for, controlling, worrying, worrying, worrying. Okay, control always points to fear. Okay, that's the idol. That's the thing that Jesus is going after. Let go, let go, let go. It's, it's robbing you. It's robbing you of life. All right. I feel like, I really feel that. Um, I feel like there are some here where the lie of your, the idol in your life is like a constant noise in your head. Um, and it's actually drowning out the voice of God and the call of God um, to his kingdom life. And you can't actually hear Jesus because you're holding on to that idol. But you know, it is possible to be free of that. It is possible to let that thing go. And probably what the Lord will ask of you is to do something practical like this man, to actually do something practical that will kill it. It will feel like death, okay? So maybe it is giving away what's in your bank account. Maybe it is um, giving away possessions. Maybe it is your time. Maybe it is deleting your dating apps if you're obsessed with them. I don't know. God's pretty creative. He'll know you. <laughs> He'll know you. He'll speak to you about it. Are you ready to listen? Ooh, I didn't expect to go so hard so quick. All right. Embracing cost, the next one. <laughs> it's only going to get better, isn't it? All right. When we follow Jesus, there will always be a cost. This is described in Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, that's Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Ooh, doesn't pull any punches, does he? 
Jesus is saying here that when we are living for the kingdom, our priorities are completely turned upside down. When we truly know the goodness of the Father, when we know him and in relationship with him, and we, we, what's in our hearts is what's on his heart, that will come before family, relationships, money, possession, success, and anything else we're holding on to. It will be costly. If you're surprised that this Christian life feels costly, it's all in the book. It's in the Bible. <laughs> that is the call. That is the call. Jesus said, if we want to follow him, we must deny ourselves and take up up the cross. If you want to find life, you've got to let go of it. You've got to lose it. So back to our passage in Mark 10. After the rich man has gone, um, Peter's like, well, Lord, we've given up everything for you. (laughs) I think sometimes Peter's like, is a bit obvious, a bit goody-goody, like, what about me? I'm good, I'm good. Um, And Jesus says, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. When we follow Jesus, our lives don't belong to us anymore. We no longer live for ourselves, but for him and what's on his heart. And he promises here, whatever the cost, it is nothing compared to the treasure that you get, the kingdom treasure that you'll experience, not just in the life to come, but here and now, where we get to see the kingdom breaking in. We will get to see miracles and healing and provision and salvation and just unexpected, crazy, beautiful things, but it will be in the midst of sacrifice and cost and discouragement and persecution. And there'll be times where you feel like you're dragging yourself on your knees. I know I'm sounding dramatic, but this is the Christian life. This is what we're called to, but he is worth it. He is worth it. And the cost will look different for everyone. Maybe it's a risk to your reputation, people knowing that you're a Christian at work. Maybe it's giving your savings to someone in need or giving up on a bigger salary to go do the job that you feel God calling you to. Or maybe giving up your time to befriend those really different to you. My friend Paddy, who's sitting here on the front row, give us a wave, Paddy. He was led by Jesus a few years ago to leave his full-time job because he felt the Lord say, you need to start up a tech company using your skills to address the issue of isolation and loneliness. And he began Joy. And if you want to know about that, go go and chat to him afterwards. We've got some friends to KXC, Pete and Sarah Portal, um, were led by Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, to go and live in Manenberg, one of the most violent places in the world, in Cape Town, South Africa, to live and work among those in gangs and those addicted to drugs, um, to share the gospel of Jesus. And they are very honest, guys. They say, yeah, we've got really occasional breakthroughs, a lot of backsliding, a lot of discouragement. They're on their knees a lot, but they are doing it out of obedience. This is the call of Jesus on their lives, and it is costly. As a young Christian in my 20s, I had not actually encountered much suffering in my life or or particularly much cost for being a Christian, to be honest. 
Um, and I was a part of a church plant of young people in Melbourne, Australia, um, similar demographic to KXC, a lot smaller. And I was on the leadership alongside my best friends who led the church. And a small group of us were at a Christian conference together um, one night. And I heard Jesus just speak to me so randomly. You know when you're just walking along doing something else and it doesn't happen to me very often and it just pops into your head something that could only be God? Because he just said to me, Kath, you don't need to be afraid of suffering. And I just was like, what? That's not, that, I, that's not God. That, does anyone else do that? Uh, that's not God. I don't think that was God <laughs> because it's not what I actually want to hear. Um, it was not actually what I'd signed up for. Um, because I wanted the no-suffering kind of victory Christianity. You know that one that's not actually in the Bible? <laughs> the comfortable one? Um, so that's the one that I had signed up for. Anyway, I, now looking back, can see that Jesus was preparing me in his kindness for what was to come. So a year later, a series of really painful events meant that the church I was a part of fell apart in a really, really messy way. Um, my friends who were the leaders of the church, their marriage broke up. Um, the relationship I was in at the time ended. And most of my closest friends walked away from the church and faith. And I was really hurting. I was lonely. I was disillusioned. I was angry. And I was holding on to Jesus with a fingernail. That's always the image that I have. And I feel like as I'm saying that, there are those in this room, you are holding on to Jesus with a fingernail. You dragged yourself here today. Bless you. It's really hard. Church pain. But any pain... <laughs> And yet, I know Jesus was with me, and I couldn't deny his presence, even in that grief and the pain. And in my room one day, I kind of felt like I had no friends at that time, and in my room, I remember saying to Jesus, even if it's just you and me, Jesus, from now on, that will have to be enough. And I resolved to keep following him, although in many ways it would be easier and less lonely not to. Fast forward many years, and here I am on the other side of the world, helping lead a church again. It is amazing, actually, that the redemptive healing work of Jesus, don't underestimate it. I wasn't always very willing to come back into church, um, but over the years, he's kept leading me toward, because I know him. That's why I can follow him, because I know him, I can trust him. He keeps leading me towards his good kingdom purposes for my life, even when I've been very reluctant. And these guys have had a front row seat. They saw me. I wasn't in a great state when I first was on the staff team. There were times where I wanted to, like, run from the room and vomit because of what it, because I was like, how did I end up back in this sphere that caused me so much pain? Yeah, but he always gave me a choice. And there is a particular cost to being a church leader. It's not, if you want to be a leader of any kind, um, get ready to serve and get ready to get on your knees. Um, but also there's a particular cost to any, wherever you are, living the way of Jesus. And until recently, I was working actually for both the church and the NHS. I'm an occupational therapist by trade. Um, and I felt the Lord a year ago ask me to commit to full-time working for the church. 
And again, if you know my story, that brought an interesting reaction off in me and, I, and my, my colleagues didn't understand it. It isn't a wise career move. It isn't a wise financial move. All of the things not wise by the world's standards. Um, also, as a pastor's kid, I probably made a vow at some point to never work full time for the church. All of that I had to let go. And to be honest, guys, I'm still letting go. I'm letting go of all these pride and identities and things that I thought that life it looks more impressive and like being able to have money to buy a house or whatever you're meant to have, you're meant to have at different stages of life. Um, that's the idle voices that just keep coming in going, oh, what about this? Oh, you're out, you know, what about this? You need more money. You need to buy a house. Why are you living in an expensive city? Why are you living so far away from your family? Why? Why? And by the way, I do. I live on the other side of the globe. I love, I adore my family. I'm missing seeing my nephews and nieces grow up. And that really hurts. It's, it's something that I choose every day because he is worth it. He is worth it. I would, wouldn't be anywhere else. I wouldn't be anywhere else because he is worth it. I get his kingdom life. There is no comparison. There is no comparison to the treasure I'm going to get to see. And I am fully aware, guys, that my little story of cost is kind of nothing compared to many, many people, not to mention the persecuted church, people that are living in fear for their lives for following Jesus, um, not to mention many other stories that he is worthy. Our lives are temporary and fleeting. We don't need to be afraid of suffering or cost. Even if the worst thing you can imagine happens, it's not the worst thing. Because the worst thing is not to know Jesus, is to not know this life that he's given everything for us to know. All right, I'm going to land there. feels like a good place to land. Also, time-wise, we need to land. Um, I feel like the Lord just wants to minister to us today by the Holy Spirit. He's here. He's been speaking. Whether it was, you know, I want to invite you to come forward for prayer, not because it's a magic thing, but there is something about saying, uh, of like the physical thing of saying, yes, Jesus, I'm responding. When he's, if he's talking to you and going, you, I want you to come. There is something about physically saying, Lord, I come. I'm coming. That it's like a step of faith. And we're just going to surround you, lay hands on you, um, and ask the whole, and just say yes to what the Spirit's doing. I felt that there were those here that, ne- that for the first time, you will make a commitment to Jesus. <laughs> you will. You were invited to, to say yes to Jesus. <laughs> and there are those who really, you felt that stirring of like, oh gosh, I need to re- say yes again. I need to say yes again. I felt like there are those that have been actually paralyzed by disappointment. And I know how that feels. And there there might have been just a time where you've needed some time out to even process some things. But the Lord can work in the midst of your pain and disappointment. It's okay. You can still say yes to him. He's going to be really kind with you. Um, So inviting you to come forward. I feel like there are those here where your Christianity has become a bit tame and cautious. Where the fear, maybe it is the idol, whatever it is that might even sound quite sensible and logical, has actually caused your life to become tame and cautious. And you were born to be wild. You were made to be wild. 
Life can be mundane, but it should never be boring when you're in the kingdom, when you're following Jesus. So I want you, we want to pray for you, if that's you. Um, and also, I just want to pray for those who, are, who maybe it freaks them out, the thought of the cost and the suffering, like me, that you're like, oh, that's scary. Jesus releases us from fear with his love. He reminds us of who he is.